Happy St. Patrick's Day. Welcome to the Pure Opelka podcast. It's Mike, and I, um, I want to say thank you to start the show to everyone who wrote me nice notes complimenting my nephew on his performance yesterday against Rafael Nadal. He lost in the big match at the uh, BP Paribas Open at Indian Wells in California. But it was so close. Could not have been any closer. They went to tiebreakers in two sets. And Riley was in it all the way. And I know it's just a matter of time before he beats Nadal. And I hope that time comes soon. Anyway, he's on to Miami for a big tournament next week. Another gigantic tournament. I hope he does very, very, very well. But it is St. Patrick's Day. A lot of people are going to be celebrating today. I was going to go out and get Mexican food because I like Mexican food. And I figured nobody's going to be eating Mexican food today. But there aren't a lot of Irish restaurants around me. And I guess everybody goes to Mexican restaurants. At least that's the story I've heard. So maybe I'll just stay home and stay away. My Irish relatives don't exactly have the most scintillating cuisine anyway. It's pretty much pub food or a step above the British cuisine of boiled food. Not appetizing to me. I like it spicy. And speaking of spicy, a lot going on in the news. Yeah, we'll update on what's happening in Russia, but you're going to get more current updates from live news on your local channels. We're just going to be repeating what was said earlier this morning. So let's not spend too much time on that. We did yesterday get the commitment from the United States government to send $100 billion, I'm sorry, a billion dollars in uh, military aid. A billion dollars is still a lot of money. $100 billion would have been a whole lot of money. A billion dollars in kamikaze drones. These are uh, drones that can take out tanks and armored divisions. That's fantastic. Good. And uh, the president finally declared Vladimir Putin to be a war criminal just seconds after he said he wasn't, which was confusing. But who knows what he heard when he was walking away. And I think he was in a a big damn hurry to get away from the stupid thing he said (laughs) yesterday when he had all of us saying, wait a minute, what did you say? Here's the 30 seconds of kind of eyebrow-raising, eye-rolling kookiness out of our president. So we established a new civil rights, a new civil rights cause of action for those whose intimate images were shared on the public screen. How many times? So people started clapping right there because Joe Biden is saying, well, we have this uh, new civil rights action to deal with revenge porn. You know, when somebody takes a photograph, compromising or naked photograph of another person and puts it online in order to embarrass them or to extort them or just as abuse. And people started clapping, but then Joe drifted off into another kind of bizarre area. You heard, I bet everybody knows somebody somewhere along the line that in an intimate relationship, what happened was the guy takes a revealing picture of his naked friend or whatever in a compromising position. And then literally in a sense blackmails or or mortifies that person. So Biden says, I bet everybody knows somebody that in an intimate relationship, what happened was 
The guy takes a revealing picture of his naked friend or whatever in a compromising position and then blackmails. Interesting, right? Because Joe's son has a whole bunch of pictures and video of himself in compromising positions with women. Naked women in some cases. And women with whom he is engaging in the consumption of illegal drugs. And maybe those pictures could be used to compromise or embarrass or extort the president. And Hunter has admitted that those pictures, those videos are in the hands of the Russians. Yeah. This is kind of weird, isn't it? And on the same day that the New York Times publishes a story about Hunter Biden, where uh, they finally say or admit that the laptop, which before the election in 2020, over a year and a half ago, uh, before the election, that was considered to be Russian disinformation to put credibility into that laptop. But now the Times is admitting it, that it's all okay, that it's good, that it's legit. They also were in there saying that Hunter Biden paid a massive tax bill last year but he's still being investigated because there may be crimes committed. Are they insinuating that the tax bill payoff should eliminate the investigation if Hunter broke laws? I hope not. Crazy. But this story, this this quote from Joe Biden saying that, uh, I bet everybody knows somebody that has taken a picture or has a revealing picture of someone, a naked photo, and then puts it online or uses it to compromise them. Yeah, that seems to be a little strange. Maybe somebody in the press will ask Joe a question if he ever stops and takes a question from the press again. I don't know if he will. I I just don't have any confidence. But this, and now let's play the whataboutism game. If this were a person whose last name was Trump, that's all that we would be discussing today. We wouldn't even be talking about Russia unless we were talking about Russia having compromising information or images or videos with the son of the president and a bunch of naked women and drugs. That's all we'd be talking about. But this isn't going anywhere because it's Joe Biden. It's really irritating. Speaking of irritating, uh, the price of gas, if you're buying buying gas, you know it's still expensive. And the uh, Putin price hike thing ain't working. I don't know if you noticed that. Last weekend, the administration tried to label the increase in gas as the Putin price hike. And the American people are like, no, no, the gas started going up the day you went into office and closed the Keystone XL pipeline and started messing with American energy. So they pushed it, but it didn't work, didn't take. So now the administration is pivoting. Jen Snarky and Biden are going to say it's big oil gouging you. It's big oil taking money from you. No, it's not. There are for-profit companies, these oil companies. They're allowed to make a profit. And if they were gouging people, guess what? People would go to other companies who weren't gouging them. That's kind of the way capitalism works. Meanwhile, the energy secretary, Jennifer Clueless Granholm, was on CNN this morning 
talking about no increase in energy production, really, no mention of it. She was asked by the CNN anchor about the uh, search for more energy. And we're not looking here at home where we just have oodles and oodles and oodles of oil and gas underneath our ground. No, we're going to go to Saudi Arabia, but then we'll take our phone calls. Or we're going to go to Venezuela or maybe Iran, which makes no stinking sense to me. We have cut off Russia, finally, although the last load of oil is is just offshore. It takes like three weeks for those uh, tankers to get here. So the those shipments of that dirty Russian oil are here, and we've got to find replacements for that. And I guess we're looking there now. We're looking in other parts of the world. Here's Granholm and the ridiculous things she said this morning. The administration's reaching out to Saudi Arabia and to Venezuela, I think uh, folks that many Americans might consider unsavory characters, in this search for energy to kind of fill this Russian energy void. Well, first of all, Brianna Kaler, unsavory characters? Saudi Arabia executed 81 people on one day last week in public, beheaded 81 people on one day. That's the kind of group we're dealing with. They also don't like gay people. And in some cases, we'll kill them for being gay. And they're still repressing women. We think that's fair. Venezuela is just a dirty country anyway. And she didn't mention the Iranian thing, but Iran kills gay people too. And they wake up every day and say death to America. But our energy secretary, Jennifer Kalulis Granholm, is all in on this one. How should Americans view this? I think Americans should see the administration calling right now for an increase in supply as something that helps them. And that's what it's increased supply at home and increased supply around the world so that we can reduce the cost at the pump. So Granholm is saying that this is good news. That's great news that the Biden administration is is looking to Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and we don't care where we get it, I guess. We don't care what those people do with the money that we give them. And in the case of Russia, they've been taking the money we give them and buying military equipment to kill women and children and destroy the country of Ukraine. It's maddening, is it not? I think so. Almost as maddening as the fact that the guy who tried to start a race war in this country, and I don't say that lightly, Jesse Smollett and what he perpetrated with the fake attack on himself was meant to destroy this country, to separate us further, to possibly start a race war between white and black people in this country. And he was convicted of doing just that, of faking this attack. And he was sentenced to five months in jail, not not five years, which he could have gotten 15, five months. And he served five days. Five days. No, he didn't. He wasn't five. Yeah, it was five months, 100, 150 days he was sentenced to. But he served five days and he got out. Why did he get out? I think he got out because at his sentencing, he started saying stuff like this. I am not suicidal. Yeah, I'm not suicidal. And if something happens to me, 
I'm not suicidal, right, Jesse? I am not suicidal. He even screamed it as they were taking him out. I am not suicidal. Yeah, he was in protective custody over the weekend, and his attorneys, very well-paid attorneys, filed for an appeal in the uh, in the verdict and the sentencing, and they also said that um, Jesse should be released from prison because the appeal process could take longer than the sentence, which would mean that he had served more time than uh, if if any of it is overturned, he would have overserved his time. I didn't think he'd go ninety days. Five days is a surprise to me. So he's released on a self-recognizance bond. He didn't have to put up a penny and he will be um, he will be given credit for that if he shows up back in court when his appeal happens. Doesn't seem fair, does it? No, he's just got really good lawyers. And I guess that's what it takes. That's what it takes. Uh, let me see if there's anything else I need to get to before we get Lauren Fix, the car coach, in here. On this St. Patrick's Day, Dr. Oz has reversed course after a day of battling with the media. He has dual citizenship in Turkey and in America, and he loves America. But his mom has severe Alzheimer's. She's in Turkey, and he says he is he is handling her care. And having dual citizenship allows him to go back and forth easily. And he has said that should he win and be elected to the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania that he will renounce his Turkish citizenship. There was a whole bunch of questions about that. Because if you're a citizen of Turkey, Turkey's not exactly atop the, the straight and narrow list when it comes to nations. There's some hinkiness there going on. So uh, he said he will. He'll give that up. By the way, uh, if you've been on a plane and you notice people behaving badly, if you've seen anyone get cited or ticketed the TSA issued 900 civil penalties for those who have traveled and violated the mask mandates either in the uh, terminals or on the planes it amounts to over six hundred thousand dollars in fines for something that's not a law it's not a law that you have to wear a mask just saying feels like government overreach feels like that if you would uh, protest it or appeal it in court with a good lawyer, you might win. Then again, the fine might be less than hiring the lawyer. Uh, one more weird one out there. Elon Musk, a couple of days ago, challenged challenged Vladimir Putin to a uh, fight. Pretty much a bare-knuckle fight, like a UFC fight. And uh, I guess winner gets Ukraine or something kooky like that. A Chechen warlord has stood up and said, you better not even think about it. Vladimir will kick your ass. I'm sure. You got to love Elon Musk for his hubris, though. That's great stuff. All right. Uh, I see our buddy Lauren Fix, the car coach, is in here. So let's uh, let's get Lauren on the phone on the uh, Puro Pelka podcast. It's that time when we get a little knowledge, a little car smarts. A little fun with our friend Lauren Fix, the car coach. You should follow her on social media. She's everywhere. I follow her on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And I'm also a subscriber to the Car Coach Reports channel on the YouTube, which is where the 4-Minute Friday video lives. 
And uh, Lauren's also here all the time. And before we start talking to Lauren, I have to give Lauren Fix some major props because it was on this show that Lauren Fix said there is going to be a two million plus drop in production of cars all around the world per per the next two years because of the war in Ukraine. And she explained in detail how the the supply chain as it relates to different parts necessary for all kinds of cars comes through Ukraine and Germany and the Eastern European region. And lo and behold, CNBC has an article that was all but quoting you, Lauren, and you were prescient in this. So we bow oh, to your superior you. knowledge. Welcome. I don't I don't get quoted. People steal stuff all the time in this business, as you're well aware. <laughs> yeah, I know. I say if you steal from me, you're probably stealing twice, though, because I got it from somewhere else. Yeah, maybe it's possible. But it, they're talking about globally, though, uh, yeah. more than five million vehicle loss. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a bunch so of cars. Yeah, that 2.6 million is a lot here, but globally 5 million. And there's a lot more going on. I mean, it's really interesting what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. So remember, we're a very global market. We all kind of rely on each other. You exporter, importer, you know, you got money going hand in hand. I'm sure you've talked about all that, about the U.S. dollar and currency. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm reading heavily about this. I'm d deep into the rabbit hole. But what I did find in my search, which I didn't expect, is there's a product called Neon. No, you, you and I think Neon. We think, oh, yeah, the sign that's in the local bar. Well, it is, but it's also one of those minerals on the chart that you remember from science class. They use Neon to process the materials used in microchips. Another connection. Yeah. That I just found out yesterday. I was pretty upset about it because I'm thinking, okay, we already have a chip problem, right? We already know we have a supply chain issue. We know we've already sold out to China and basically gifted them everything, whether you like it or not. They control the chip industry about 90% because the Koreans sold out their business. But hey, look at it this way. You have a chip business. Someone comes to you and says, hey, listen, Mike, I'm going to give you a billion dollars for your business you're like back up a trailer i'll just go start another one right so that's what a lot of people did they sold out because they had enough cash flow in china to buy a lot of companies so now they're in control of the chip industry and it's all in china even worse china as i'm sure you've reported has shut down four of their cities because they claim coronavirus yeah. that also yes but 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 today's reporting is those cities the 51 million people and we talked about it uh, with Dr. Roizen. Those 51 million people in those cities are not directly tied to or should affect the supply chain. So, But they are. They come news. out of Wuhan. There's, they call it the Big Candy Mountain or something. Is the nickname. But that's where the chips are manufactured. So if you're not going to work because everything's shut down in four major cities, even one city that's going to affect, affect at some point, the flow of products, whatever it might be, the assembly, the components to other countries. And well, that's the, part of the problem. The answer here, people, is we need to build most of our stuff here at home. And that's no, that's what's got to happen. Before. Yeah, yeah. And I think some past president said that. Sure. I don't was remember. It, wasn't mm. Barack Obama. But yeah, so, no. so there we are. <laughs> so hopefully we'll work on that. And yeah. hopefully we'll get that expedited. I'm not sure. Right. 
if this administration's interested in that, but I'm interested in what the Me heck too. is in the four-minute Friday this week, Lauren. All right. Yeah, briefly, I do want to talk to you about all the wiring harnesses come out of the Ukraine. The nickel for batteries comes out of Russia and the Ukraine, and so and so does palladium for catalytic converters. So I think the impact here is what I talked about. We're going to lose about $2.6 million dollars in vehicle sales. Now, just briefly before I jump you, into the you Friday. You mean, you mean 2.6 million cars, not cars. dollars. Now, I wish it was that little. Um, so here's the interesting thing. So while you're thinking, oh, well, that doesn't affect me. I'm not Ford, GM, or Honda. That's whatever. It does affect you because half of the Dow Jones is impacted by the auto industry. And you don't think about it. You think it's just the car manufacturers, but it's tire manufacturers. It's chip suppliers. It's it's marketing companies, it's event companies, it's literally every aspect that makes this industry tick. So it actually impacts half of the Dow Jones. There's a lot of computer companies now involved and a lot of software companies. You start thinking about all this, that's a lot. And that means jobs and that impacts our economy and the world's economy. So just remember that when one little thing doesn't work, whatever that may be, whether it be neon or chip supplies, the impact is global. So that's kind of what I wanted to get at. So, but I wanted to talk about this week on the Friday segment is a lot. I know we're always talking about what's going on in the crazy world, but so people are for you and I were every day, you know, we live our lives. I need a car. What, what do I do? I, I go to the dealership. There's nothing on the lot. I mean, literally nothing on the lot. And, and that's upsetting to a lot of people because they want to either trade in their car or get rid of their lease. I do want to give you one tip, and this is the newest little thing I'm hearing. And I hate when people send me these emails because I know that some bad person's got a bad way to trick people. So when your lease comes to an end, you have something called edge to edge. In other words, what's on that contract that you signed when you leased your vehicle, whenever that may be, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, whatever, that lease agreement tells you at in writing, and this is an actual contract, your vehicle at the end of your term, you pay this amount and maybe yeah. there's a trade turn-in fee, right? Sure. Or you can trade, get rid of that turn-in fee and tra- buy, buy another car from that brand. That's what they always try to get you. Oh, we'll cover that. The dealers have no say in what that legal agreement says. So if you're thinking you want to buy your vehicle off the lease, maybe you didn't drive it much because of COVID. You're like, there's just no miles on this thing. It's in perfect condition. I can't get a replacement car. Correct. You can keep your vehicle. You don't have to contact the dealer. You contact the leasing company, the name that's at the top of your lease, whatever company that may be, whether it's a factory like a Ford Motor Credit or it is, you know, Joe's Leasing. You contact them. You tell them you want to make the deal. You will pay out the amount. You will pay your sales tax in your area and the vehicle's yours. The newest scam is some dealers are saying, and this is not very nice. It really makes me angry. They say, well. You know, if you're going to turn keep your vehicle, there's an additional fee. That's not true. That's money going into the dealer's pocket. So don't fall into that trap. Go directly to the leasing company. Now, if you're saying you want a car and you can't find one, I'm covering seven simple steps to buying a car online. And things have changed a little bit. There's not that same negotiation. Right now, it's just finding what you want. Finding a vehicle is the biggest challenge. You could order one. I mean, I waited seven months for my truck. But... If you don't have that luxury of waiting, and a lot of people don't. I know, Mike, you you ordered something. You're waiting because that's your only option. Um, there's a few ways to do the whole thing online, on your couch, in your PJs, never leaving, 
and having the vehicle delivered to your house. And I'm going to cover that in the Friday segment because this is something I think a lot of people forgot about. You know, you can use Carvana and Varum and all those, but even local dealers, even national dealers. I bought a car out of Colorado. I did every. I never even met the salesperson, but I knew what I was buying, and I had already test driven it. That's the one thing you want to do is test drive the vehicle. That's like the most important thing. You don't want to get it and go, oh, I really don't like how uncomfortable these seats are or because you're stuck with it. I mean, yes, you could sell it, but you'll probably take, you know, lose a few thousand dollars doing that. So there's a lot of great tips, simple, easy to use. And once you realize how easy it is, you won't feel that you're beholden to whatever your local dealer has. Not that that's a bad thing. It's good to keep the money local. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of uh, supporting local, but I'm also a big fan of buying it within the country. You could still say it's local if you're buying here in America. Right. You, you could <laughs> still say you're local. Yeah, sure. Uh, Lauren, you have an advantage with all the knowledge you have. You have an advantage over uh, Joe and Jane Sixpack, the average car buyer who's going out there and looking at a car because you have a library of Congress worth of car smarts in your brain. And you also have a lot of experience driving cars and understanding what it feels like for a car to be right. And what it feels like for a car to be wrong. Are you a proponent of dragging a friend with you? Who's a, maybe a mechanic paying him a couple bucks to come out and drive the car and look at it with you for a used car. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you think, you know, I don't know anything about cars. That's the worst thing, by the way, you can tell any service department, any repair shop, any car place. I know nothing about cars because that just means they're going to take advantage of you. So never say that about anything. I don't care if you're going to buy an appliance. You try to do your research in advance. That's what I do on carcoachreports.com. You can go there. There's all kinds of information. It's also in Spanish. So I have two guys that write for us who are also in Spanish because I think that's a huge, huge marketplace. And in addition to that, they keep their cars longer. So if you're thinking, I don't know anything, this is a great place to go. Um, but what's interesting is if you're going to buy a used car and you have a buddy who's a mechanic, take it with them. If not, you, I don't have a buddy. I don't know anyone who's a mechanic. Not a problem. You can make a deal with the person who's got the used car to say either meet me at the repair shop so they're driving it or drive it to a repair shop and put it on the lift before you make an offer. Literally, they'll take the wheels off, they'll look underneath the fuse box, all the little things that could leave you with a very large bill, especially if the car is flood damaged, it was in an accident, or needs a massive repair. So typically what I ask any repair guy is, hey, can you give me a, a green, yellow, red, just like a traffic light? Yeah. Green, this car is great. Mike, you got to buy it. Or yellow, yeah, you know, the exhaust is about ready to rot off. You got to kind of keep that cost in mind. Or red, holy moly, run from this vehicle. That's why you never make an offer until you had it checked out. That's smart. Very smart. Yep. That's yep. Lauren Fix, the, the car coach, giving you the advice. And she talks about car smarts. And this week she's giving you a lot in the Car Coach Reports 4-Minute Friday. It's on YouTube. You can go there. It's free. If you're thinking about or trying to figure out how you're going to be able to find a car in this time when cars are in short supply and the prices are going through the roof again and will probably keep going up because of all the problems on the other side of the world, arm yourself with knowledge. Be smart for yourself, as my grandmother used to say. Lauren, I wait until next week to see which media outlet will quote you again and not credit you, and we will call them out publicly together. 
Cool. I love it. I'll absolutely uh, enjoy the fact they're doing that. I'm on every, literally every media outlet you can imagine, TV, radio, internet. And sometimes I don't even know. Like, apparently I was on the Weather Channel yesterday. We used to segments. So I never wow. know. As Lauren Fix replays. Yeah, yeah. You're on with yeah. Charles Payne. You're on the Weather Channel. You're everywhere. That's great. We love that. Thank you. And you're here with us, which makes us feel special. Lauren Fix, the car coach, thank you very much. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Mike. 